This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. The first reading is taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The coming messenger. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from the book of Psalms. It's the entire chapter of 84 of the book of Psalms. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Our gospel portion. It's from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 2, the presentation of Jesus in the temple. Uh, We follow an ancient Christian tradition. Please stand as we honor the good news of what God is doing through Jesus the Messiah. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all the things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew, and he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So brothers and sisters, let's begin in prayer. Father in heaven, uh, we gather today in your name. Lord, we have worshipped you already in song, in prayers. We worship you again through your word. We long to hear your voice, long to feel your presence. So please, Lord, in your mercy and grace, speak to your people in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are an Anglican church. And uh, we follow a lectionary, a cycle of reading Bible. This is something that we inherit from the Jewish people. Jewish people at the time of Jesus had a triennial uh, cycle of reading the Bible, which got switched somewhere in the Middle Ages, I think, to a one-year one year cycle. The good thing that a lectionary does is it, lets, uh, it makes sure that preachers don't preach their top ten favorite sermons. Okay. Um, which in this case would be the kingdom of heaven. We love that topic. Uh, but you have to preach the whole Bible. So you get, sometimes I'll have to stand up and preach the beheading of John the Baptist, and sometimes you get a really cool parable to learn from, which is great, but you will do the whole thing, which is uh, a challenge for every one of us. And today's portion reminds us something. Sometimes it's a little controversial, Jesus is Jewish. Oh, that seems pretty obvious from the text. However, there are people who don't like that uh, anymore, and there are people who would argue against it, and that it, it seems to offend people. I mean, if Jesus was raised as a German, I'm sure the French would be very unhappy. Okay, and if Jesus was raised in England, I think the French would still be unhappy. Okay? <laughs> and if Jesus had been born in Russia. I'm sure the Americans would be very upset and they would have voted Bernie Sanders as president a long time ago. Okay. But, <laughs> lucky he's not born in Venezuela, right? <laughs> okay. 
And I remember when I was a, a, a young man, I was working in a Christian bookshop, and uh, I had a T-shirt on that had, uh, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. Anyone seen those sort of T-shirts? And I remember a Presbyterian minister coming and seeing me going, no, 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 that's wrong. My boss was a Jewish carpenter. As though, you know, he died as a Jew and he was risen as a Gentile, which is absolutely amazing. But I'm pretty sure that in the book of Revelation, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So somebody up there is keeping his tribal allotment. Okay. So we have the lectionary today and something a very Jewish story is coming out. And uh, it's something for us to, to consider, ponder, be challenged by, depending on where you are, vis-a-vis uh, -vis uh, the idea of, of a Jewish Jesus or a Jewish book, the Bible. Because this story and the gospel occurs in a very Jewish world. Does it not? It does. Jesus is born into a human family, not just any family. God could have chosen any family, could he not? But he chose this one. He chose a, a Jewish family. And this Jewish family was quite religious. They were very Torah observant. We find uh, that uh, they're in, engaging in... Um, the, what's called the Pidiat Haben, we'll talk about that in a minute. The family is constantly making pilgrimage to Passover. We find Jesus in the synagogue. He's been trained to read and write. He has become a reader of the scriptures. It's a very important job. His father's done a great job teaching him. We're not quite sure what happens to him after this, but he did it. And he would have learnt traditions. Because oddly enough, the Bible doesn't tell you everything, does it? It says celebrate Passover, doesn't tell you how. Pray, all right, what should I pray? That's why they asked Jesus. Everybody's trying to figure out how do, how do you pray? Thou shalt honor your father and mother. Okay, how do you do that? You develop a tradition. And those traditions, we all have them. You don't have to like someone else's tradition and no one's forcing you to adopt any of these traditions. But Jesus grows up in a traditional family. He learns and appreciates, uses and observes tradition. Even Paul in Thessalonians twice reminded the congregation to keep to the traditions that he had taught them. He didn't just say, just follow the Bible, you'll be fine. Okay, but keep to the traditions. We've all got them. Some of them are cool. Okay, like my family tradition is we always watch movies on Friday night. I like that tradition, not in the Bible, okay, but it's a good one. Okay, and then we play lots of computer games on Saturday, also not in the Bible, okay, and maybe not so good. But we all have some wonderful traditions which guard us, guard our children, guard our hearts, guard our prayer life guard our spirits, guard our communities. And Jesus grows up in this. And here we have the story of the purification of Mary. It's about her too. And the redemption of the firstborn. And this we read about in Leviticus 12, which tells us that um, when a, a woman has a baby, she becomes impure, unclean and that they will need to make uh, a sacrifice. Why? 
Because when you're born, you're born into blood and pain. Right? It's not a, a happy experience normally. It's happy at the end. But trust me, when you're right in the middle and uh, your wife is crushing your hand and the drugs are just not working anymore, and so there's this, uh, it, it's, it's an unclean experience and God is life, is he not? And unfortunately, the act of, of, of bringing life into the world involves uh, blood and pain. And so God had this way where he said, when you've done this, wait, you wait some time, you wait uh, seven days to do the, uh, the circumcision and then 31 days for the Piriyata Ben. You will come in and you will purify yourself uh, with, a, with a mikveh and you purify yourself, purify yourself with an offering. Okay, you will, and here we see the offering was um, some doves. Now in Leviticus, it gives you the option. If you're wealthy, you give a lamb, an, a, an animal, decent size uh, offering. But if you're poor, then you can give a smaller gift. We discover that Jesus' family is not rich. Now, I don't know what they did with the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. Okay? It could be that it wasn't like a big box, okay? It could have been just a little bit. Or maybe they spent it all in Egypt uh, looking after themselves. We don't know. But the point is the family is not wealthy, and they come and they bring their, their little, 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 little offering, which is nice to think about, is it not? That our Lord grew up in a poor family, didn't live on the big mansion on top of the hill. Lived in some little backwater on top of a mountain. But, uh, but it was poor. He identifies with us in just about every way. Today, you still do the Pidiyat Haben. I had to do it. My firstborn son, firstborn from the womb, was a boy. And the way you do it is you bring your son to a Cohen. And uh, he takes him, and that very moment, that boy does not belong to you anymore. He belongs to the Lord. Okay? Now, the Lord already got his Levites, so what does he need some more for? But it was, a, it was a, one of those teaching moments in the text where God says, you know, everything's actually mine, but particularly the first. I get the best from God. So all that joy... All that pain, all that suffering, now you're going to have to give it to me. However, you can redeem him back. So in this country, you still do that. You actually have a ceremony and you give five silver shekels. Actually, the Israeli mint actually does make silver, special silver coins for this thing. You give five silver shekels to the priest. I'm not 100% sure what he does with it. I think he gives it to charity. You say a variety of prayers and blessings. You promise to bring the child up in the way of the Lord. You promise to to teach him the Torah. You promise to do a whole bunch of different things. Uh, You also bless God, and then you take your your kid home. They're doing the same thing here. They're going to go to the temple. They're going to pay a small uh, fee, these, these, uh, these pigeons who are going to die for Jesus. And then Yeshua is going to go back to be with his family. And while we're in the temple, we encounter someone special. Encounter two people special. 
Now, normally we are in the lectionary reading uh, cycle A, three, three cycles, A, B, C. It's very complicated in the Anglican world. And uh, normally we'll be reading through Matthew. But Matthew doesn't have very many child stories of Jesus. So when it comes to this portion of the calendar year, okay, um, about uh, 40 days after Jesus was born, then we have, uh, we switch into Luke. We do it all the time. It's the only story we have. And we encounter uh, this, these two characters, Simeon and Anna. And Simeon, as the text says, has been looking for the consolation of Israel, whatever that is. Now, in the Second Temple period, we had most of the Bible. In fact, we had more than the Bible. We had lots of extra books. A lot of people were reading Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, it talks about the consolation of Israel, that God was going to regather his people and bless them once again. Isaiah 40. And the Dead Sea sect, the Dead Sea community, those guys in Qumran, you guys have been to Qumran? In your sojourn here? They had decided that they would flee to the desert and they would wait for the consolation and the redemption of Israel there. And they're basing their idea on, uh, on, on Isaiah, where it says, prepare the way of the Lord. Where? Where do you prepare the way of the Lord? In the desert. Okay, the voice of one calling. In the desert, prepare the way of the Lord. So they went there. The Messiah was going to appear in the desert. Then he was going to walk into Jerusalem and start the, 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 the eschatology, start the apocalypse, start hacking and slashing and restore the kingdom. For Simeon, where did he go? He went to the temple because that's what was written in the prophet Malachi, that suddenly the Messiah would just appear in the temple. Now, if you read that verse, suddenly the Messiah would appear in the temple. Who would you be expecting to see? A king. Triumphant. Powerful. Brave. Strong. Probably good looking. Probably what you were not expecting is a small baby. That's not what the prophet said, is it? Behold, a small baby will one day mysteriously appear in the temple and you will recognize him as the Messiah. But it's there in the text. The Messiah will come to his temple. And he did. But he did it in the most amazing way. In a way we did not expect. And there's a very good chance that whenever we sit around in our prophecy conferences and predict what's going to happen in the future, we will get it wrong. <laughs> Please don't tell me you know when Jesus is coming or how he's doing it. You, you don't. It's going to surprise us. Be ready. It's going to be amazing. Be ready. He's coming. Yes. Be ready. So Simeon, when he meets, somehow he knows that this, this little infant is the Redeemer. And so he gives this incredible blessing. He then gives another blessing, which is just as incredible. But here he says, this, this little one, is a light to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And he's connecting uh, Isaiah 49, which you also see there, that this Redeemer figure is going to be a light to the Gentiles as well as the glory of Israel. Now, the, the temple is a very special place for this 
event to occur. Uh, the various parts of the planet that have an extra special connection to heaven. It's little places on the planet where heaven and earth connect. And sometimes we see windows into that realm. And so the temple is one, one place, the temple mountain. Uh, the mountain of transfiguration is another where heaven and earth meet. Okay. Uh, Mount Hermon is, is one of the possible places for the transfiguration. Mountain of the many, where in the uh, book of Enoch, it's where the angels descended to heaven in Genesis 6 to mess up the earth. Okay, and uh, there's, a, there's a little connection there between heaven and earth. Bethel, Beit El, Jacob sees a ladder connecting heaven and earth. The temple is one of those things as well. According to Jewish tradition, it's the site of the Garden of Eden. Okay, I know Wikipedia all thinks it's in Iraq, uh, but hey, they often get stuff wrong, don't they? Now, um, we, all, we all think it's in Iraq because the uh, rivers Euphrates and the Tigris. However, let's remember this is post-flood, and the Tigris and the Euphrates are not fed by springs, they're fed by rainfall and mountain water, which can change shape. So their sources can change. There's another river that flows out of the Garden of Eden in Genesis. It's called the Gihon, which is a spring, which means its source keeps coming from exactly the same spot. And where's the Gihon today? Aviel? It's in the city of David. When you walk through Hezekiah's tunnel, you're walking in the Gihon. So the Gihon flowed out of a garden. <gasps> where's the Garden of Eden? It's here. And what was in the middle of the garden, I hear you ask? It's a good question. Tree of life. Now, beginnings and ends always occur in the same place, same time, same fashion, according to Jewish tradition. Uh, when in Revelation, Jerusalem descends down to earth, the heavenly Jerusalem meets earthly Jerusalem and they become one. What's in the middle of Jerusalem, according to the book of Revelation? Tree of life in exactly the same spot. So yeah, temple's a very special spot. And Simeon has been moved here by the, by the Holy Spirit. As we can see, in the second temple period, he did not disappear. We seem to think he did, because we read in our Bibles, Malachi, Matthew, and there's a sort of 400-year blip, usually um, delineated by a blank page you flip over into the New Testament. But in the Second Temple period, there were lots of books, like a lot. And a lot of them talked about the Holy Spirit. And so much so, they had invented a new word to describe his presence on the planet, the Shekinah. That's the time period where that, that phrase comes from. So they had a concept of the Holy Spirit. Yes, they did. And, and Simeon knew when the Holy Spirit was talking to him, he knew how to recognize that voice, and he obeyed. So he went, and uh, he says, this, this child, this Messiah, is going to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, if I said the word light in, uh, to us, we would normally think, that light. Let's turn on the light, right? Come on, baby, light my fire. But that is not what it means in the Bible. When God made the world... What was the first thing he made? Light. That was a couple of days before the sun. So the, when you see the word light in the Bible, don't think that light. 
Because that light cannot distinguish between good and evil. When you turn on the light, that light will give light to your family, it will give light for you to read, but it will also give the exact same amount of light to the thief that's come to steal your big screen TV. Okay? He doesn't know good from evil. But when God made his light, his light was very special. What was the first thing he did with his light? He moved it. He moved the light, and what was left? Darkness. Right? Does God create darkness? He creates light. But when you move it, by definition, you've also made darkness. For God to turn around and say to the world, this is good, what must he also know? What is not good? Otherwise the word good has no bearing. He makes the world, turns around to the angels and says, this is good. And they go, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyone know what that means? Yeah, yeah, good one. When God makes good, you must by definition also know that now there is something called not good. Does God make not good? No, he makes good. But by extension, you have this other thing. So, and when God uses his light in the Bible, it can move. When one of the plagues of Egypt, what was one of the plagues? Darkness. But not for Israel. They had light. When the children of Israel wandered through the desert, what was in front of them? Light. Pillar of cloud and fire. It was a guide. It was a shield. It was a defender. Uh, it, was, it would search out places for them to go and camp. So when you see the word light in the Bible, don't think that light. Think the light that God brings, the light that can move, the light that can distinguish between good and evil, the light that chases away the darkness. But if the light moves, there's still darkness there. and You don't want it to move. Arise, shine, says the prophet, for your light has come. Very next sentence, darkness covers the face of the people. Brothers and sisters, we hold a piece of that light. We have a job. We have to share. That's why people can notice things that are different about us. People say, hey, I, I go to work and I really like that guy. I wonder why. Something about him. His eyes have got some special brightness in him. You all know what that is. It's a great blessing to be able to share. And it's going to be a light for the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And those are two different things. There's Israel and then there's the Gentiles. And that's okay. Because it was always meant to be okay. When uh, Abraham met Melchizedek, who is king of Jerusalem, potentially, who is he? I know that in the Protestant tradition we all like to think he's Jesus, but he's not. Because if he is Jesus, you have to ask yourself, why is Jesus ruling a city? And if he's ruling a city, it's obviously a very good one. I think I'd like to live there. You'd have to ask yourself why he left. Especially when Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. So you have a Gentile that Abraham meets. And what's this Gentile doing? He's blessing God. El Elyon. It's the only time he gets called that, except in a psalm later on. But there's a Gentile, king of Jerusalem who's blessing the Lord, which is great. And then the children of Israel come out of uh, Egypt. Do they go by themselves? 
No, who goes with them? A mixed multitude of Gentiles. In our last words of Moses, we, after three weeks, finally finished chapter one. Uh, we were discussing that here's our hero, Moses, who at the start of his career says that he doesn't know how to talk uh, and then proceeds to give the longest monologue in the entire Bible. Okay? Uh, but he's standing in front of a, gr- a mixed multitude, Jews and Gentiles, yes? Yes. When King David wants to buy the threshing floor, of Aravne or Arona, Aravne. It says in the Bible that uh, they make a deal. And in Hebrew, it says, uh, He gave everything king to king. Ooh. There was a king of Jerusalem. In fact, there were two. There was King David and King Aravne. There was a Gentile king and a Jewish king. When David captures Jerusalem, what does he not do to the Jebusites? He doesn't slaughter them all. Why not? Why did he keep them? Killed everybody else? Because these guys were worshipping, guess who? They were worshipping God. Jews and Gentiles were always meant to be together. Even in the temple. The first thing you come to in the temple was the court of the Gentiles, and it was half the size of the area. It was massive. It wasn't just this little bit where we put a few token goy boys, okay, and go, cool, we've got our little, little, little goy, goy guy. What are you doing on the Sabbath? Can you come to my house? Okay, I need to turn a light on for me. Uh, they, were, they were big. It was a big area. Now, the concept of blessings in the Bible, because this guy's going to bless Blessings are a big deal. We don't, in our material culture, value them very much. In fact, we value them very little. What we value is our big screen TV, right? Or our cell phone, or the clothes that we wear, or or something like that. It's it's a bit of a shame, really, because those will burn out. Those will die. Every single one of those things will not last forever. In fact, the instant you buy your phone, it is now old. Yes? I dare you to try and sell your brand new phone one day later for the same price. Okay? It's pretty hard. But a blessing. Now that goes on for a very long time. And God starts his career in the, in the beginning of the Bible blessing everybody. He blesses Adam and Eve. He blesses Noah. He blesses the sons of Noah. He blesses Abraham. And then he turns around and he says to Abraham, now you be a blessing. And so suddenly humans have the same power to bless. And we can bless each other. In fact, people longed for it. Sons would long for their father's blessing more than they would long for their father's goats or camels or whatever. But then we can also, as a human, bless God. Now that's pretty amazing. Yes, we want the Lord to bless us. And if it it better be real, otherwise why bother? But here you have this man, Simeon, most likely a priest, and he sets up to bless uh, the, the child. It says, you are going to be a light to the nations and the glory of Israel. And this is what we call a, a rising and a falling for many. You call that a blessing? But it's interesting, isn't it, when uh, Jesus 
reads from the scroll in Luke 4. He reads Isaiah 61, but he misses a verse. When he reads Isaiah 61, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and I've come to preach the good news to the poor and open the eyes of the blind. He misses the sentence to bind up the brokenhearted. Just delete, just does not say it. And you go, why not? Why would Jesus not come and bind up the brokenhearted? Because they ask him later. They say, Jesus, are you uh, going to bring peace? And what does Jesus say? No. Not peace, but a sword. Believing in me is going to hurt. It's going to tear families apart. And you see that here. You see it around the world too. But you see it here. If a young Jewish boy or an Arab guy becomes a believer in Jesus and it's not the same tradition as their parents, uh-uh. If a Muslim comes to faith in Jesus, it's going to hurt. You lose your family. If they lose their family, who needs to be their new family? Us. So Jesus didn't come to bind up the brokenhearted. That's our job. Okay? And, he, and he, right from the beginning, he will be the rising and falling of many. This guy is going to be so powerful. We still label time according to him. Right? Before Christ, Anno Domini, after the Lord, they did their best to change it before the common era, BCE. But they still count time to Jesus. Doesn't matter what you do. This one little Jewish boy has affected the entire world. Both good and the other. It's good for us. It's a fantastic message of grace and love and compassion and mercy. But it hurts too. So our job is to bind up the brokenhearted. Our job is to care for the, the, the ones who are hurting the most. Truly, that is our job. And then he gives this other great, interesting blessing to, to Mary. And a sword will pierce your heart too. Oh, what a great blessing. Don't you love it? As opposed to, and you're going to be rich and famous. No, it was, a, it was the truth. Sometimes the blessings are not ah, something that we might consider positive. But Mary is a very, very powerful person. All the things that were going to happen to her because she said yes to God. People are going to ridicule me. No one's ever going to believe me that an angel came and I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Everyone's going to think that I've had an affair. Everyone goes to think that I'm a prostitute. No one's going to believe me. No one. Not until 33 years later. So she had to suffer a lot of ridicule. And then, oh, she's going to have to stand and watch her son die. That is not a nice thing for any parent to have to do and so many images of Mary they look on this section uh, you might see them painting sometimes artwork you'll see a, a statue of Mary with a whopping huge sword sticking out of her chest and you go oh, that's a bit ugly but it is one of the first blessings she gets not the only one but it's one of the first she's a very brave girl very brave now we meet another one, Anna, the prophetess. See, prophecy had not departed Israel either. There was a prophet. 
and she was a girl. So female prophets were actually quite accepted. You had Miriam, she was a prophet, Deborah, Hulda, there's a few ladies. And, uh, and she's from the tribe of Asher. Now, this was a real challenge to scholarship who had thought that uh, tribal allotments had disappeared, people had forgotten about it. Obviously, they didn't because uh, uh, Paul knows he's from Benjamin and Anna knows she's from Asher and Barnabas knows he's from Levi, so everyone still knew which tribe they were from. And she's inside the temple. Now, according to tradition, that lovely word that I started the sermon with, Mary was an orphan. Her parents had died young, and she was attached to the temple. And so she actually probably met a new Anna, and so these probably know each other quite well. So Anna sees Mary and goes, oh, she's back. How's married life going? Ooh, the little one is here. And she's also waiting for the redemption of Israel. In fact, a lot of people have come to the temple looking for the Redeemer to come. And she's worshiping the Lord every day with fasting and prayer. So not all worship is a song. That is part of our worship. But prayer is part of your worship. Fasting is part of your worship. Sitting down listening to me is part of your worship. I know it's a boring part of worship, but it's worship. And unlike Simeon, we don't, get a, we don't know what she said. And, I, and sometimes there are parts of the Bible where I wish that they would, would tell you more, but they don't. It's like when Jesus meets the two disciples on the road to Emmaus and it says he goes through all the scriptures proving where he was. Please write that. <laughs> but you don't. You just tell me you did it. That's just not fair. Well, they did it again already. There we have a prophetess. She starts prophesying. Get nothing of what she says. But she was there waiting for the glory of the Lord. And then the family, they depart and they go back to the Galilee. And the Galilee was an interesting place. Uh, it had been uh, devoid uh, of people for quite some time um, during the Assyrian invasion, been repopulated by Gentiles. Hence, by the time of the uh, prophets, it's called the Galilee of the Gentiles. And then during the Maccabean period, you know, the guys who gave us the donuts and that really cool holiday, they decide that they're going to repopulate the Galilee because they're living in the Messianic era. So they force convert all the people up there and then they force move people who live in the south north. And so you need to live there. That's why someone from the tribe of Judah is now living in the lands of Zebulon, Issachar and Naphtali. He should have been living where? Should have been down here. But uh, we find Jesus' family in the north. So this reminds us Jesus is a human because he grows. That's a bizarre thought. A child, he had to learn. He had to learn to walk, to run, to speak, to cry. He had, uh, his mother would have come and bandaged him when he, he fell. He had to learn discipline. He learns how to read and write. He learns how to pray. He learned all those things, being obedient to his parents. And God was with him. And that's a nice thought too. So in conclusion, the light of God, the, to, to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of Israel, is still with his people. That light is right here. That light will depart with you when you go out to serve, to live, 
and to love and to make disciples of all nations. That light is, is getting brighter here in this land as both more Jewish and Arabic peoples are coming to faith in Jesus. He is still moving and guiding and protecting and healing. And as Psalm 84 says, happy are those whose trust is in the Lord. Despite all the mess that the Middle East can offer, people can still be happy. What do you trust in? Happy are those who trust in the Lord. We, don't, we can't trust in our material culture. It will let us down all the time. It's nice to buy a new car, but guess what happens to it 10 years later? She break. It's nice to buy a new phone. Three years later, you want to buy a new one. Okay? It doesn't matter what we do with our material culture. It will always let us down. But happy are those whose trust is in the Lord. The Messiah still remains the benchmark for the rising and falling of everyone, both for the Gentiles and for Israel. So brothers and sisters, you and I have a task. We have a task to share the light of the Messiah. God has always desired the light to be with the Gentiles. And he has always remained the glory of Israel. And those are very good thoughts. Happy are those whose trust is in the risen Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you and blessings from the city of the king.